Have you ever wanted to see for yourself what the Bible has to say? Well, you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis, and Vicar Aiden Moon as we explore the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and provide you some landmarks and guideposts along the way. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. Welcome to episode 10 of Trek Through the Scriptures. Our episode this week is End of the Torah. We've worked our way through the first five books of the Bible, and today we're going to be specifically looking at Deuteronomy chapters 15 to 34. And as we're getting started today, uh, one of the concerns that we keep hearing as people are reading through the scriptures, especially these early, is pronunciations. And I came across an article the other day in a magazine called Bible Study Magazine, uh, written by a guy by the name of Mark Ward. And he was in his uh, article, he was talking about, is there a right pronunciation? And one of the things he mentioned, there's really no rules. Uh, so just don't pronounce it in a way that sounds silly, so to speak. Yeah, he, he uses as an example, there's a, a passage in Daniel where there's the writing on the wall, you know, mene, mene, and tekel. And, and he he describes a situation where somebody pronounces it, meanie, meanie, tekel, something like that. And he's like, it just immediately conjured up some sort of like cartoonish image in his mind. So he's like, okay, don't pronounce it in a way that sounds silly. Um, but he says this, he says, think with me here, mene and tekel simply are not English words. There's no rule for how to pronounce words from other languages correctly. Probably don't be distracting or silly. Don't fumble or stutter. Definitely draw a believable connection between the letters on the Bible page and the sounds you utter, but leave it there. You know, even in ancient times, there would be different dialects and accents, so correct pronunciation isn't something to worry about too much because we can't reconstruct exactly, uh, you know, what the pronunciation was. We don't have any audio recordings of ancient Hebrews speaking, after all. And, and, and to put it in perspective, um, almost all names that we use commonly, Bible names, are um, pronounced differently than the original Greek and Hebrew. Um, so they're they're what we would call anglicized. So they're they're taken, the letters are taken and transitioned into English letters, and then that affects how we pronounce them. So you can kind of carry it back. For example, even Jesus, we say Jesus in English. That's the common pronunciation. Um, in Spanish, it's pronounced differently. They pronounce it Jesus. And that in the in the original Greek language that we find in the New Testament, it's more uh Jesus is generally how it's pronounced. Jesus. So, and that's derived even further back from an Arabic the Aramaic name Yeshua, which is the same name we actually also anglicized to Joshua. So there's like, you can see how it, it can even be kind of, kind of confusing, but there's not a, uh, not exactly a correct pronunciation of some of these things because uh, any, any number of names, if you took it back and looked at the original Hebrew, we say it a little bit different. Abraham, Isaac, um, they're they're pronounced differently in the original language, which means you can kind of uh, the the article even says this. Let's go with Luther and say sin boldly. Uh, be confident, <laughs> but don't worry about it too much. Well, one of the things that it's kind of interesting is you, they take Hebrew letters, they take Greek letters, neither which uh, are exactly like our English alphabet. Mm -hmm. And the fancy word they use is transliterate. They try to put these Hebrew letters, these Greek letters into English letters. And anytime you do that, um, it's just going to be sometimes more confusing. So what we would say, simply sound it out. Don't panic. And uh, there's even some examples in this week's reading that you can do as a part of that. Yeah, in, in chapter 29, we have Adma and Zaboyim. 
even I, as I say those words, I'm just looking at them and saying, what sound do those seem to be making? Uh, or in chapter 32, Jeshurun and Meribah Kadesh? Kadesh? I don't know. Kadesh is what Kadesh, I'd say. Yeah. So and we have Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea. There's, uh, if you, <laughs> we recently read through the book of Numbers, which maybe is the worst for this because you have uh, whole chapters of just name after name after name. Um, but like the the initial thing, I think what often gets people is you see a, a word that you're not sure how to pronounce and you panic a little bit. And so just take it slow, look at what the letters say and do your best. And uh, I guarantee that there are uh, biblical scholars that pronounce them differently between the different people. It, it's There's not a one-to-one perfect, uh, perfect pronunciation. So I, I think that's a helpful thing for us to realize, um, and it can take away a little bit of the worry that we're, we're somehow going to screw it up. And it's going to happen as we continue both the Old and New Testament. There's going to be lots of names or words that exactly how do we pronounce that? So uh, work at it. And that's where uh, the Read Scripture app is a little helpful. You can hear some, how somebody else decides to pronounce it, but you can still have your own little pronunciation for it. So last week, uh, as we started out Deuteronomy, we went through Deuteronomy's chapter 1 through 14. And really, uh, there's transition, so to speak, a new generation. Uh, and, it, and as it even began there, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan River. And as I mentioned at the very beginning, it's the last book of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, uh, and Deuteronomy really is this second law. In Exodus chapter 20, we have the giving of the Ten Commandments. And in Deuteronomy again, we see the Ten Commandments again being uh, repeated and applied and in this case, expanded for new generation, the old generation, that the adult generation, so to speak, that uh, came up out of Egypt, went through the Red Sea, wandered around the wilderness for 40 years, had gone away, had died. And now it was to new generation to remind them of where they came from, their history and its impact on their faith life. And I think that uh, Pastor Christensen last week, who was with us as a guest, mentioned something along the lines of, of calling it like case law. You know, you have these commands and now there's been some some time. They've been for 40 years practicing and, and figuring out what this looks like in practice. And Moses is giving them some specific examples of how, how these laws can be applied. And it is uh, just like some of the other books of law. Some of it seems a little weird and odd to us. There's some contextual things that we maybe miss because of our context, but um, that's really the intent of it in a lot of ways is that this is a people who weren't, most of the people that he's talking to were not at the base of Mount Sinai with uh, the first giving of the law. And so as they prepare to go into the next stage of, of their journey as God's people, they need they need a, to be reminded. And so it might seem like sort of like weird repetition to us, but it is, it's important and significant. And as they did that, to remind them of this is the commands, this is how the law has been given by God, how, what God is uh, calling us to be. And then, and near the end of this section in chapter 30 is really, we find a theme for this whole section. And then what will happen to Israel if they don't keep this new covenant, this contract that God has made with them, and what will happen to them. And so that is a, a very significant theme as we're getting into this ending section here. Uh, we see this in chapter 
30, as you're reading through chapter 30. And even uh, in chapter 31, he's mentioning uh, the exile, so to speak. And and that's uh, in verses uh, 15 to 18 in chapter 31. So as we, we, we do recognize, and we see this even in the, in the context of Abraham, that God's covenant is this is something that comes from from God to the people. It's not exactly an equal partnership, um, but especially as the covenant is expanded for for the people of Israel, there are conditions on this. There, it's it is uh, God will remain faithful. He's God will keep His promises, but the actual covenant itself of the promised land and all of those things does require the obedience of His people, and. Uh, as this transition happens, as there's sort of a changing of the guard, it is very, very important. Um, so here's here I'll read a, a few verses from chapter 31. This is right right as Joshua, the new the new leader, is being commissioned to lead Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, "Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them." Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. Many evils and troubles will come upon them. So they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil they have done because they have turned to other gods. That's pretty stark and harsh sounding, but we have to remember that this whole theme of the last few books has been God's presence and how God is providing a way for them to be in his presence by giving them all, especially like in Leviticus and everything. And yet they're going to, they're going to give that up. They're going to give up this great gift of God's presence for all these other idols, all these other practices that he's been very clear about them uh, needing to keep um, as a protection for them. And they're going to go off and do their own thing. And so it's sort of a, it's, it's a prediction. God is saying, this is going to happen, uh, which might seem kind of fatalistic, but we know God knows all and all time. And so he's looking and he can see and knows what is going to happen coming up in the books ahead. And so this is foretelling of the cycle that Israel will enter, especially after the book of Joshua of disobeying and indeed asking this question, God's not with us anymore, I guess, because because uh, every, all this bad stuff is happening to us. Well, it's also interesting as we draw to a close here in Deuteronomy is the fact that Moses, who has been the central figure, so to speak, other than God through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, is now at the end of his time among God's people, his last words uh, of encouragement to them. And it's, it's rather interesting because uh, while God is the one who has been with them through the exodus and their wanderings, you have to admit that for the people, in some ways, it's been Moses who is God's mm-hmm. a symbol of God's presence among his people. And now they're going to continue on and Moses isn't going to be there. And so even though it's the focus is truly on Yeshua, God among his people, uh, uh, and it's 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 rather troubling for the people. Now Moses is going to be gone. He's not going to be there. I mean, this happens at every single church that has a pastor who's been around for a while. Um, there's just transitions hard. I mean, transitions are just hard for people. That's, that's not, not necessarily 
a bad thing. It's just the familiarity of, of a leader who has represented God to you for a long time is, is something that you take comfort in. And there's some, some peace, even if you, you know, even the people who maybe were a thorn in their pastor's side for those however many years will still feel feel troubled by transition. Right. Um, there, that's always going to be true. And so I, I think if we we look at it that way, in some ways Moses has been the pastor of this really big group of people for a very long time now. And this is this is who all of these people grew up with as their representative before God. And so they. This is another important aspect of the book of Deuteronomy is this sort of last um, last word that makes it clear, that makes the transition clear. Um, any a, a pastor's greatest gift to his congregation when he's when he's leaving them, um, when, whether it's retirement or whatever else, is to um, help them deal with and prepare for that transition. And that's what Moses is doing. as and that's why we have a very clear kind of, Here's the next guy. This is Joshua. He's gonna he's gonna pick up um, where I left off. He's the successor, and that that commissioning happens in chapter thirty one. Well, what's very interesting also about chapter thirty one is you get to that how very realistic Moses is about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, remember Moses has been with them for forty years. He's led them uh, out of Egypt. He's led them in the wilderness. He's had them at the uh, base of Mount Sinai. They're now on the edge of going into the promised land. And so he's really calling on his 40 years of leadership and saying, okay, I know how you are. I know what kind of people you are. <laughs> yep. This is going to happen, but the importance of coming back. And that that becomes very true. And as uh, Vicar Moon mentioned here, you know, this uh, the idea of having a successor. Uh, Joshua um, was like the leader uh, in training, so to speak. Mm-hmm. He was, in many ways, Moses' right-hand man. He'd seen so much of this. He was one of the spies that had gone to the promised land and came back and said, hey, God's in charge, we can do it. So it was a natural successing, so to speak, to get into it. And what's really mm-hmm. going to be getting into next week, interesting, as we get into the book of Joshua, how that comes across, that Joshua's been prepared for such a time as this, and Moses and God have gotten him ready for that point. Mm-hmm. And and as you said about the realism that Moses has, I think it's it's good for not just the people to have that sort of those warnings and promises, but also for Joshua as a leader. Um, and like you said, Joshua's been around for for a while. He's been being built up to to serve in this role. But it's also good for him to be reminded: Yeah, these people are are God's people, but they're also sinful, and they also have their quirks, and they're they're going to struggle and. And start to fall away. And for for Joshua, the great comfort is the promises that that Moses makes that God is going to continue to be faithful to His people. And eventually, there's going to come a time when He's going to provide a way for His people to to keep the law, to truthfully love Him. Um, there's a there's an end times kind of a promise in there too, which ultimately draws us forward to Christ, um, to that transition point when when Jesus provides that way. Um, and that for 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 any any leader in the grind of of work and the grind of doing what God's called you to do of that kingdom work, it's good to have ultimate hope um, to know that that sometimes the labor that you're doing can feel in vain, but it's not. 
because God has an ultimate promise that he will keep. Whether or not the people are, are faithful or not, there's an end, an end hope. Well, one of the interesting things, and it's really a question that uh, I've heard in Bible class many times, I have to admit at times as I've read through the whole story of entering the promised land, I have to admit I've thought about it. Really? Moses does all this? He had to live through the wilderness and the manna and the quail and all the battles and everything. And God, you don't let him enter into the promised land? Really? But uh, really behind that question is, who's leading them into the promised land? It's almost as if, okay, Moses did all this. And if he brought him in the promised land, you can almost see how the people would be confused. Ah, it's Moses that did it. No, it's God that did it. And so... uh, Yes, Moses was God's servant as they wandered through the wilderness and the Exodus, but God's it was he was still God's servant. It wasn't Moses, it was ultimately God working through Moses. And so this transition to not allowing him into the promised land is significant in the sense that it's reminding the people of Israel, reminding us God is the one in charge, not mm-hmm. the servant that God is using for that. And you had used that earlier about the pastor of the congregation. Um he is God's servant in that place. It's still God's church. It's not mm-hmm. that particular pastor's church. It is God's church, and the pastor is there as his servant uh, for the time period that God has him there. Mm-hmm. And when he's gone, it's the next person's congregation uh, for God's purpose, and God's the one still ultimately in charge. God's the main character of the story. And Moses has definitely been significant for the last uh large portion of our reading. Um, Ever since the beginning of Exodus, Moses has been this significant figure. Um, But the story continues without Moses now. Um, And that is an important reminder. And it's going to be a big theme of the book of Joshua, what you're talking about, of that really this is God's God's story. Um, The people of Israel play a role. Moses, Joshua, they play a role. But this is God's story and God's story of of restoring himself and his relationship with the, the creation. And so as we draw to a close here, uh, basically this section you can put into two different areas. The first would be laws from chapters 12 to 26. And then as we move into the end of the book, it's really Moses' last speech, uh, the passing on or commissioning to Joshua, and ultimately his death. And so that prepares us for what we will discuss next week, and that will be Joshua, the entering into the promised land, uh, showing God's abiding presence, even though there's a new leader, uh, God's still the one in control. So there is a transition period here. It's a great ending of Deuteronomy, getting into the, n- the next book we're going to get into is Joshua, of who's really in charge. Yeah, we're, we're moving out from the, the era of the, the wilderness wanderings and the people in the Torah into a new era, the, the history of the people of Israel in the promised land. And that'll be where we go next. So we're glad that you're with us for our podcast. Uh, Continue with your readings uh, and we'll continue in next week as we turn to Joshua and the entering into the promised land and God's abiding presence for his people. Lord's blessings on your reading and study this week. And we'll talk to you again next week. Lord's blessings. Thanks for joining us on our trek through the scriptures this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. 
To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on social media. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Please join me in prayer as we begin our new week. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. That by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time as we continue our exploration of God's story in the scriptures. God bless your reading this week.